Good morning. It is a different day, and I wanted to take the opportunity this morning to lead us through uh, some time to pray together and to just be aware of uh, the situation in which we find ourselves. This whole season that we're in has been kind of a season of ups and downs, of happiness and sadness, of questions and feeling confident. One of the things that I found helpful in Scripture is how well uh, the authors of Scripture capture not just uh, thoughts about God, but the emotions that we experience in our relationship to Him, in the, the emotions we have through daily life. So I want to read a couple of passages from the Psalms to start us off in our time of prayer this morning. And I'm going to read from Psalm 71, verse 19, uh, several verses, and then jump to Psalm 100. And just encourage you to follow along, and then um, that will just launch us into some time to pray together. So let's pray now, and we'll pray the words of Scripture. Psalm 71, verse 19. Your righteousness, O God, reaches to the highest heavens. You have done such wonderful things. Who can compare with you, O God? You have allowed me to suffer much hardship, but you will restore me to life again and lift me up from the depths of the earth. You will restore me to even greater honor and comfort me once again. Then I will praise you with music on the harp because you are faithful to your promises, O my God. I will sing praises to you with a guitar or a piano or a saxophone or a tambourine, O Holy One of Israel. I will shout for joy and sing your praises, for you have ransomed me. I will tell about your righteous deeds all day long. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him, singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Father, thank you for the psalmists, uh, people like David, who were able to capture their relationship to you in song in, in such powerful ways. And we can resonate with uh, the cadence of life that he's representing here. Where there are times when we're so excited to be alive. And then in the same day or the same week, we can be wondering, where are you in the midst of this God? David talks about joy here. And finding our joy in you. Today, this Advent Sunday we take the time to reflect on what it means to have joy. For each one, may you draw close. May we be able to sense your presence. May we be able to sense your joy over us. To hear the songs that you sing over your people. We are grateful for who you are, for what you are doing, that in the midst of uncertainty, uh, you are our rock, our anchor. In the midst of uh, 
invasion or things being taken away from us, you are our fortress. When it's dark, you are our light. When it feels like despair is encroaching upon us, we recognize our hope that rests in you. We thank you for Advent, the anticipation that comes in recognizing that God is with us. And in Jesus, we find the absolute truthfulness and reality of that. And we experience your spirit here among us, in our homes, in our hearts. And we say thank you. Glory be to you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. So it is week three, Advent Sunday, and I chose to wear red to be festive. Festive for Christmas and festive for COVID because we're now in red. And we decided Thursday night uh, that we... if they announced that we were moving to red in our region, that the, the most loving thing we could do would be to, to move to online only. So there are a few people here this morning. Uh, they are part of our band, and uh, it's good to have you still to look at and speak to. But I'm going to talk uh, mostly to you today that are uh, tracking with us at home and want to ask this question to start this morning. What is it that fills you with joy? When you think of the things in your life that you love, what is it that fills you with joy? So I've got a few examples here of things that might fill us with joy. So the first might be puppies. Isn't he cute? Cute little puppy. Maybe, maybe puppies fill you with joy. I, I didn't put a picture of a cat there because I know that that's not possible for a cat to fill you with joy. But, uh, and some of you are upset with me right now. But maybe it's puppies or cats or emus or aardvarks. Whatever it is, a pets might fill you with joy. For some of you, it might be bubbles. And I don't know why I chose bubbles. It was just random. But I thought, hey, bubbles make people happy. Sometimes when we got bubbles all around us, we feel great. We love blowing bubbles for our granddaughter and watching her run around, chasing them, and the dogs chase them. And it just makes you feel better. Who can't feel happy or joyful when they're surrounded by bubbles? Maybe it's children. And I love this picture. It might be your children. It might be somebody else's children. It might be your grandchildren. But this little guy is laughing hilariously, and he's got an open Bible on his lap. I have no idea what he is reading, but it is really funny to him. Maybe he's reading about, you know, in Genesis, the whole idea about baseball in the Bible. You know, like in the beginning, Eve stole first, Adam stole second, Cain struck out Abel, and the angels and the giants were rained out. I know. It gets worse. But I love the fact that he's just laughing hilariously. And I could ask the question, what is it that fills you with joy? And you could fill in the blank. It could be any host of things. But then a follow-up question I want to ask this morning is this. What happens when those things are taken from you? When the things that you love that fill you with joy are taken from you, what happens to you? 
And that is exactly what we want to address today when we look to the passage that we're going to use in this Advent week of joy. And we're looking to Isaiah chapter 9, verses uh, 1 to 7. And I'm going to read them here uh, from my Bible. We're going to put them on the screen here. You can follow along as we read. But I, I think the passage here today is addressing this question. When the things you love are taken from you, what happens? So let's read this. The, the Israelite people are facing an invasion, not from a virus, but from a people group who are going to come and deport them and take them away. And it's already beginning to happen. So Isaiah speaks this. Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever, because he's been talking about that in chapter 8. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. And it passes that we're often familiar with this time of year. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, like warriors dividing the plunder. You will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. The idea of what's going on in this passage is that Isaiah is addressing the fact that the people are facing all the things they love being taken from them. The Assyrian army is going to be advancing and and eventually uh, the whole nation will be taken over and it will be um, uh, an awful time. And that's this reference to darkness. And, And they're going to lose their homeland. They're going to lose their culture. They're going to lose their homes. They're going to lose their loved ones. All the things that might have filled them with joy, that might have made them feel wonderful inside, were being taken from them. And Isaiah was helping them to get their focus and attention in the right place. Because when the things we love are taken from us, and that's where we're looking to for a source of hope and meaning and joy, uh, our whole world falls apart. And I think that was happening for them. And one of the things Isaiah does so remarkably, graciously, and, and lovingly is to try to direct people's attention to the Lord and to get their eyes focused on who God is and what God was doing. So joy is connected with, with God in spite of what they were facing so in spite of the deportation, in spite of this army sitting on their doorstep, and in, and in some ways you could just replace army with, with virus or COVID, the encroachment was taking place and people were just with a sense of loss. And Isaiah is just saying, okay, let's stop and pause for a moment and recognize one source of joy that can never be taken. And that is our connection 
with God. So in chapter 52, which we had in our reading this morning, that's where Isaiah is giving them more comfort and saying, you know how beautiful it is when, when feet bring good news, good news about peace and about salvation. We just erupt with joy is essentially what he's writing in, in Isaiah 52. And he's doing it here in the sense that whatever's going on around you, there is a source of joy that is tied to, to God. And followers of Jesus have understood this. So when you get into the New Testament, and you're looking at the, the earliest followers of Jesus, when you read through the book of Acts, when you, when you listen to what the New Testament authors were writing, um, the author to Hebrews, Paul, uh, James, they actually write a fair bit about joy, and it's often in the midst of difficult circumstances. And so the Apostle Paul is uh, writing a letter to the Corinthian people. He wrote two letters to them. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he's actually talking about even though you're experiencing all kinds of troubles and you're actually living in poverty, you are able to find joy. And he's writing this to them saying, you know, it is, it is possible and you are living it out. You are finding joy in the Lord in the midst of great problems and great difficulty in living. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he actually writes to the people and he says, listen, you received the word that we brought you, this good news, you received it with joy even though it actually brought you persecution. So you're being persecuted and, and yet you're able to find joy in the midst of that. The writer to the Hebrews talks about people being put in jail, about people having all their possessions taken from them and then saying, and joy exists for you. Because you're learning the, the power of not putting all of your, your eggs in the baskets of the things around you. But relationally, you understand a joy that can come from something that is never taken from you. And then James oddly writes in James chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy when you experience tribulations or when you experience trials in life and great difficulties in life. Those are opportunities for joy. And it's fascinating that they can write this, but it just brings us back to this passage in Isaiah and what the author is saying, what Isaiah is saying to the people in the sense that all around you the world can be crumbling and yet when you're able to turn your direction and, and focus on the relationship you have with who God is and with what God is doing, it allows you to actually anticipate what God is going to do. And your ability to find joy in the midst of that uh, is lasting. And so this brings me to this verse. Um, you know, he's talking about rejoicing as, as people rejoice in the harvest. And I recognize not everybody's a farmer. So you, if you've never actually like planted a field and waited for it and then got to harvest it, the closest thing that many of you would have would you planted a garden. You know, and, and the aphids didn't eat all your tomatoes. And some point in the summer, you tended to that tomato plant or that cucumber plant and you got fruit from it. Or if you've never had a garden, just think about being at work or, or working on a project and getting to the end of it and actually being able to enjoy all of your hard work and whatever the end result was. That's that kind of joy, a celebration that comes that Isaiah is talking about. And then he brings us to verse, um, verse 6 where he says, A child is born to us, a son is given to us. And we often associate that with Jesus. So there's this connection between Jesus and joy that we often make uh, in a passage like this. And interestingly, 
you don't read the, the gospel authors attributing this passage specifically to Jesus. And if you read the context of this passage, everything it's talking about is, is really attributed to Yahweh, to what God would do and what God was doing and who God is. And yet everything that we read in these as Christians, we're able to take that and actually see that it fits in who Jesus is and in what Jesus has been able to do. But if we were going to apply these verses to Jesus, when you read through them, things about the government will be on his shoulders, he'll be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. His government will be all about justice and fairness, and it will never end. Really, if we were to apply that specifically to Jesus, that has a lot more to do with his second coming than his first coming. And yet we know that the incarnation of Jesus coming the first time is about beginning that whole thing, about the new covenant that God makes with humanity and, and with the earth, and that he is setting this world right again. And we don't have to wait for that. God is at work doing that now. The Prince of Peace is at work establishing peace and justice and fairness. And yet we know there's the now part of it and the not yet. And so there is so much connection here with Jesus. And the joy that comes from being uh, connected to him. And I, and I wanted to jump, I, I couldn't help but do this, I wanted to jump from this child in Isaiah 9 to what Jesus says about joy. And the connection between staying focused to God, uh, focused in our relationship with him through Jesus, and the joy that we're able to experience, even though the things that we love most might be taken from us. So in John 15, Jesus is with his followers, and these are his closest followers. And I think this is actually uh, applicable for, for us today. And he says this, I've loved you even as the Father has loved me. Now remain in my love. And you remember last week we talked about love and the love of God, the hesed of God, his steadfast love, his loving kindness, his unfailing love. So Jesus says, remain in that love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. And I love this part here. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. And then your joy will overflow. Jesus wants us to be filled, not just with our own joy with him, but he actually wants to share his joy with us. The joy that he has in relationship with the Father and the Spirit. Jesus says, I'm telling you these things now. When you stay in my love, when you remain in my love, you will experience a kind of joy that goes beyond what you're able to um, conjure up within yourself. It will be a divine joy. A joy that I want you to share with me. And it's so, like, it's so like God. He is so sharing. He wants us to share in his life. Jesus wants us to, to have what he has. And it's not always about do this so that you make me happy. It's I'm overflowing with joy and I'm telling you about God's love. And when you get it, then I just want to share this love with you. And this wonderful thing about, about joy is that it is rooted in God's love. The very thing we talked about last week. Jesus says, here, let me share with you. And there's something about 
looking around us and realizing that many of the things that we look to for meaning and for joy can so easily be taken from us. Many of you were excitedly looking forward to being here in person this morning. And, and we made a decision to take that from you. And, and that can be difficult. And in the midst of all of that, the Isaiah passage in Isaiah 9 is, even though darkness is present, God is at work. And God is still turned towards you. And God wants to shower his love upon you. And if we would just be willing to open up to that, every day of our lives, to receive the love that God has for us, that is something that can't be taken. It is always flowing and flowing in abundance and available for us at any moment. And it is something that actually can fill us not just with our own joy, but with the very joy that God himself wants to share with us. I want to make just a little detour here, but it's connected. And it's not not connected to the Isaiah passage, but I got thinking about about Isaiah um, encouraging the people that in the midst of their darkness, light is on the way, that a son is coming, that God's government will be the kind of government that, that they wanted, that we all want. And I realized that even in, in the, the midst of these people facing deportation, um, scholars talk about the exile Israel was still encouraged to be faithful to God and to maintain something, a gift that God had given them long before this. And it was the festivals that the Jewish people had these festivals that they celebrated every year. And the festivals were a wonderful way of actually helping them stay turned towards God and not getting caught up in the things around them. Not, not, it wasn't about escaping the world. It was like enjoy the world that's all around you, but realize that, that many of the things that you're enjoying can be temporary, but God is, is here everlasting, always and fully. And so the festivals that God gave Israel were, I think, these gifts that reminded them, keep your eyes on God. In the midst of life, enjoy life. And in the midst of enjoying life, keep your eyes on God. Because that can't be taken from you. And you can read about them in Leviticus 23. And interestingly, the very first festival that's mentioned in Leviticus 23 is a thing called Sabbath. We're going to talk about that actually in the new year. But Sabbath was this weekly festival. And I don't know if you've ever thought about the Sabbath as a festival, a lot of people think about, you know, they they actually equate church with Sabbath. And that's that's another story. But Sabbath was this weekly rhythm of stay tuned to God. And then there's things like Passover and the festival of unleavened bread and the festival of tents or tabernacles or booths. The festival of trumpets. I love that one. Uh, Pentecost. Right now, Jews are celebrating Hanukkah, which is kind of, you know, in between the Old Testament and the New Testament and a deliverance that they experienced a second time. And some miracles that are associated with that. But here's what I find interesting about about the festivals that God gave them. There were two things that were characteristic of all the festivals. And one was the stop work, and the other one was celebrate. So if you're going to have a festival, you got to stop, stop working. And and I think it's better to talk about um, stop doing the things that distract you from God. So I don't want us to get too literal here and think, okay, as long as I'm not working, I'm good. Because we often stop working and then we fill our free time with a whole bunch of other things that are distracting. Shopping and chores and sports for the kids and television, whatever. We, we always feel like we have to have our minds distracted. And the gift of Sabbath and other festivals is this. 
stop. Cease. Rest. And then you're able to turn your eyes towards God, turn your heart to receive that love that Jesus is talking about. And then the second, the second idea of all these festivals is celebrate. Celebrate what God's doing. So here's a recommendation that I have. Some of the celebrations that we want to do, we can't do. That was true for the people that were facing deportation in Isaiah. But they learned to celebrate God anyway and to be creative in how they have those celebrations. So my encouragement to us is, in the midst of things that might be taken from us right now in this season, is create new ways of celebrating God's joy. You know the 12 days of Christmas? We were talking about this in our family. Often the 12 days of Christmas, that song that never ends, um, we, we sing it leading up, and we think that the 12th day of Christmas is Christmas Day, but that's actually the first day of Christmas. And then there's 12 days of celebrating Christmas that leads to Epiphany in the new year. And if you're not sure about Epiphany, look it up. The church had this wonderful ability to create a calendar of celebrating God. And so my encouragement is, come up with some new ways of celebrating that actually work in our time right now, that allow us to keep our eyes to God and our hearts open to his love. And to receive his love and his joy so that our joy overflows. And be as creative as you want. For the 12 days of Christmas, come up with a different act of love to love somebody else in, a, in a, you know, just a simple way. You know, I'm going to listen to somebody today as an act of love. And every day for the 12 days of Christmas, give gifts that are attached to love and bring joy. And keep us turned towards God. So that's a recommendation that I have. In the midst of difficulty, it is possible to have joy because we're seeing the connection of our relationship with God. He has always turned toward us, and his love is always available for us. Part of our role is to be able to just, you know, open our, open our arms metaphorically, open our hearts and say, God, I receive that love today, and I want to share that love today. And along with that, to see the joy that comes in the midst of that. One final thing I want to say is you might be struggling right now with joy. And part of this sermon uh, might actually feel like it's just somebody else telling you, cheer up. Just cheer up. And you know how much that makes you bristle. Um, For some of you, you're actually experiencing right now a time of deep grief. You've lost a loved one or something tragic has happened in your life. Today is not about telling you, just cheer up and, and find joy. Some of you are just have this regular lived experience, a daily lived experience with depression. And it's a daily battle. This is not saying just cheer up. It is recognizing, like the writer in Ecclesiastes said, there's a time for everything in every season. Sometimes there's a time to laugh, but then there's also a time to cry. Sometimes there's moments for dancing and celebrating, and other times there's moments for, uh, for mourning. And I think there's wisdom in that. So I just want to recognize today as we're talking about joy, for some of you, it just might not be possible right now. And go back and pray Psalm 71 or Psalm 100 and recognize there are the ebb and flow and, and let your emotions flow out to God. 
The Apostle Paul, um, back to Corinthians, also talked about, you know, there are times when just in our weakness, we can plead, God, you know, I want this to be taken from me. And God says, I know. But it's going to stay. And in the midst of your weakness, where you feel you can't carry on, my strength is actually going to be displayed. And it's all couched in this idea of God's amazing love for us wherever we are at. And so, in the midst of that love, receive it and receive the joy that Jesus wants us to experience in whatever way you can. And then express that to the best of your ability, which might be, today I woke up and I got dressed. Hallelujah. Celebrate that. And for all of us, it is possible in the midst of difficult times when we stay connected to God and we foster that relationship with intentionality, it is possible to live in that love and to receive the joy of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we look to you in this Advent season. May we see you as our source of peace and hope and love. And as we sing our Christmas carols, may we discover yet again the joy that rests in you, our Savior. And may that joy be visible in us for the encouragement of all. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. We will see you next week. And as Good Anabaptists, we're going to finish with celebrating the Advent season with peace. Bye for now.